0: We Saw a Thing is a movie podcast about remakes and sequels.
1: We, we saw a thing and talked about it. This
0: week, the guys watch Scrooge and A Christmas Carol. The following conversation has been edited for brevity. You let me know when you're recording again? I'm good. Oh, you are? Yeah. You're like actually recording now? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I, for
1: once, I was recording before you. Oh my God. Jeez. <laughs> okay. All right.
0: Uh, so what are we talking about today? Uh, Scrooge and a Christmas Carol. Ah, Yes. Yes. So I got a quick question about, uh, about these movies. So I feel like the story of Ebenezer Scrooge is like the most popular Christmas story. I mean, next to like, you know, the birth of Christ. Why is this story the most popular? I don't know.
1: Like, it's one of those stories that, like, I've definitely seen. Like, I hadn't seen the 51 version, but I've seen, you know, a Muppet Christmas Carol and the Mickey Mouse version. And, like, I've seen various versions of this movie over the years and, like, different iterations of this story. I hadn't seen either of these two particular retellings.
0: Yeah, neither had I. Uh, But of course, we all, through osmosis, I feel like you know the story.
1: For sure. Yeah. This is a weird story, though, because, like, it really felt to me like uh, certainly in the 51 version, you you know, the scene where they're all sitting around a table and they're talking about like embezzling money and shareholders and all that, like, Didn't that feel like it could have been—that same conversation could have been uh, in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. It could have been in, like, any current-day movie about uh, capitalism. Oh, for sure. That stood out to me. That was really interesting. So it really seems like this story is trying to say something about capitalism. But it also seems like it's trying to say something about just, like, being a decent human being and, like, not letting greed kind of, like, take over for, for the nice things in life and it's told in like an incredibly extreme way. Yeah.
0: I mean the thing to me is he is a creditor at Christmas time. Right. I don't know what he has to be unhappy about. <laughs> he is raking in. You're looking for that interest, pal. So why are you such a downer? But also like this was his life's
1: goal to be super rich. And now he is. So, like, what's the problem?
0: <laughs> well, and I think we all know that money cannot buy happiness. And Scrooge certainly did not find happiness while, while he accumulated his money. So I've heard over the years that Scrooge, 1951 version, is the definitive version of A Christmas Carol.
1: As far as, like, being close to the the Charles Dickens
0: telling of it? Great question. I have no idea. Okay, <laughs> I don't. I've never read the book. Okay, great. But... Out of all the versions I've seen, this is certainly the one that gives us the most backstory into who Ebenezer Scrooge is. Yeah, for sure. I
1: felt like um, Muppet Christmas Carol did sort of similar things with the backstory. So, like,
0: I wasn't super shocked with some of it. I certainly didn't know that his father blamed him for the death of his his mother. I didn't know that. Right. That was new information. That was new information. I didn't know that he went into Marley's pocket after he died and took all of his estate. I didn't know that they swindled Fezziwig out of that place. Those were a lot of things that I'm like, you don't get this backstory in Mickey's Christmas Carol or (laughs) uh, the version with Scrooge, duh, as in with Bill Murray or the version with the Muppets or the version with Patrick Stewart. This is, I, I'm i going to agree. I think this is the definitive version of this story. Which made the Jim Carrey
1: version kind of interesting because they, they really, it really is a very, very similar retelling, almost to the point where a lot of the dialogue is even the same.
0: And that dialogue has to come straight from the book. Again, I have no idea, but I would believe that lines like, then they better do it and decrease the surplus population. Like that that sounds like dickens to me. Right. <laughs> it's interesting cuz this is a film about ghosts. A lot of ghosts. I mean, very different takes on the ghosts from the 51 version. To a Christmas Carol, two thousand nine, with Jim Carrey.
1: Yeah, very different takes. I, although, I mean, you look at the fifty one version, and like the special effects hold up better than I expected. Like they did, they did good things with in camera trickery to make the ghosts look like ghosts. And the interaction between Marley and and Scrooge was like pretty good. Like it didn't seem like there was a disconnect between the two of them being not in the same room at the same time.
0: I, I agree with you. I thought the transparency on the ghost. So the way they did it, it was like a matte finish transparency over another actor who clearly wasn't in the shot at the time. And it worked for this like old timesy story. It felt right. At some point they ceased to be transparent. Um, I don't know if the FX budget ran out, but all of a sudden the ghosts were like totally just there. Right. Yes. (laughs) But (laughs) That was fine. Like, yeah, it was all fine. And I think the thing that works about Scrooge from 1951 is the ending is so endearing. He goes crazy mad off his rockers with happiness that it is Christmas morning. He hasn't missed it. He like
1: full on assaults his maid. Did it surprise you that Jim Carrey was the more restrained performance of the two?
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, oh, how's Carrie going to pull this off? Like, yeah, the animation and Carrie's going to make him a loon. Yeah. But no, Alistair Sim goes crazy. But with that said, endearing, really heartwarming to see how happy he is.
1: I found his transition from like evil to manic a little much. And it kind of took me out of it. I was like, man, just like 10% backed off of that and I, I would have been in. But like, it almost didn't balance enough. I felt like Jim Carrey's performance was a little more balanced and like the level of joy he was bringing at the end was sort of equal to the level of like asshole he was bringing at the beginning.
0: I've never seen a version of this story where he interacts with another human being within his house. So the stuff that he did with his maid Was weird. But with that said, I mean, that famous out the window, hey, boy, what day is it Christmas? That whole thing was awesome. It was great. He was under his breath like, oh, what a delightful boy. And it was so charming to me at least to me. No, no.
1: I, I agree with that with that moment specifically, I 100% agree. Like this is an interesting one to to A and B as far as an original and a remake because the scripts are so similar. There was something about the animation for the 2009 version that it made it really difficult to connect with any of the characters
0: emotionally. Did you have that same problem? I agree. The it's not it's not photorealism. It's still their own animated looking characters. Yeah. Just voiced and I guess personified by Gary Oldman and Jim Carrey and the like. But. Colin Firth is in this and looks
1: nothing like Colin Firth. Well, I mean, Jim Carrey plays, like, eight characters in this movie, right? Yeah, that's true. He plays all of the ghosts, as well as every iteration of Scrooge, as far as, like, young to middle-aged to old. He's having fun. Gary Oldman plays Bob Cratchit and Marley and Tiny Tim, so, like, and Tiny Tim, like, clearly he wasn't the voice of Tiny Tim, but he was doing the motion capture, I guess, and, like, the motion capture was pretty good, like, the characters moved appropriately, but... It really felt like that first opening shot where it's like kind of like drifting through London. It felt like a tech demo the whole time I was watching this movie. I'm like, I would really like to play this video game, but I'm
0: not into this movie. That's a, that's really interesting that you say that. I I didn't think it. I I thought the same thing in the tech demo space. I was enjoying it though. I I I liked flying through London and and coming in on Jim Carrey. Burying Marley and uh, and really showing this is an even greedier Scrooge yes. than the 1951 version. Yeah, I, I mean he takes the pittance of whatever that copper yeah the coins right off Marley's eyes off his eyes. Yeah, Ugh. the 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 money that would go to the the riverboat man in the afterlife.
1: I loved the animation for, like, the set design. Like, the when he's flying through with the Ghost of Christmas Past, they're flying through that, uh, that like, wooded section that's all, like, covered in snow. That was gorgeous. It was the characters and, that I was having an emotional disconnect from. But all of the backgrounds, the lighting was really cool. I mean, there was that weird chase sequence with the with the black carriage and the horses with the Ghost of Christmas Future that was just, like, it felt really out of place and strange. That was kind of like a weird moment.
0: Yeah, it, it, it they almost look. I I don't want to say there's an uncanny valley, but there is something about their faces that is you kind of aren't feeling warmed by them as as
1: characters. It was more than that too, because like it was so obvious that Jim Carrey wasn't just Scrooge, but was also the ghost especially the first two, Christmas Present and Christmas Past, it was so obvious that was also Jim Carrey that I had a hard time connecting with those characters because it was just like, it was just Jim Carrey playing against Jim Carrey. And like, there was just, I don't know, there was just this constant disconnect for me between trying to get emotionally invested in the characters and the story and the journey that Scrooge goes on because of the animation and the the, there's like the eyes just looked kind of dead. Like weirdly Gary Oldman's Cratchit was like kind of the only character that I felt like I could get any sort of like emotional resonance with. Whereas I had no problem with that whatsoever in the fifties version.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. The fifties version, everybody looks very inviting. It's, it's like a warm hug being with these characters I mean, I got to say, the the Cratchit character is pretty important to the story. So uh, if you're not identifying with him, you're not going to identify with Tiny Tim. And if that doesn't sell you, then the movie isn't going to win you over because Tiny Tim's God bless us, everyone has to hit all the right spots. It's not that Scrooge changes and you feel great about Scrooge. It's that because he makes a difference in the world of... Bob Cratchit and the people around him, they are having a better life. Uh, Scrooge also does too. And I I would say that there is a willingness to Ebenezer to go with these ghosts, which made me real, like, I really thought that in Jim Carrey, like, there was a willingness to change on his part. One of
1: the notes I wrote about the original was that because the original spent so much time showing the joy of Christmas to the people that were kind of closest to him, like Cratchit and his nephew. And in the 50s version, they did a really good job of, like, Cratchit being like, hey, like, we should toast to Scrooge and, like, his health and wellness. And he was talking very positively about his, you know, boss and mentor, I guess. And then And they spent so much time on that, especially with his nephew in the original.
0: That's a good point. Fred is also very positive in the original, and in the very positive Christmas Carol from uh, 2009, they're almost like having fun at his expense. A little bit more. Because he's the punchline
1: of the joke, and that's really the only moment of that party that we get in A, in a Christmas Carol. Whereas in Scrooge, it, there really is a bit of a discussion about, well, he's my uncle, and like, you know, eh, there's really like making excuses for him in Scrooge, which it doesn't happen in A Christmas Carol. And, and so, like, there was a weird emotional disconnect for me in that moment because it really did take the Ghost of Christmas Future showing Scrooge that nobody likes him, he's not going to be well-remembered, people are happy he's dead, and that was the thing that changed his mind and made him want to be a more positive person because he he wanted to leave like this positive legacy. And so to me, I'm like, how unfortunate that the turning point for that character wasn't that he could see other people's happiness and want to engage in that and be happy inside of that as well. And these people that he had around him who wished him well, even though he was so evil to them, it was really the moment of, oh, no, nobody likes you and you die and nothing that you've worked for to create a legacy will matter. That was the turning point for him emotionally in Scrooge. Whereas in Christmas Carol, I felt like each successive ghost kind of brought him a little bit farther along emotionally. So I didn't have as much of a problem following Scrooge's journey in the
0: remake. That's actually interesting that you say that because in the 1951 version, I really got this Sins of the Father Based on all these backstories, like his father despised him because his mother died during childbirth, and he despises Fred because his sister died giving birth to him. So there's this I never wanna be poor, I never wanna be desolate because I need to run away from my father. And then he does the exact same thing to his nephew, even though he absolutely loved his sister fan who I have never seen this in another Christmas story on her dying. Her wish is the Ebenezer take care of her nephew. And he didn't. And that's gotta be a level of guilt. That is, is just holy crap. You saw that. They took that out of the Jim Carrey version. Yeah. And I, I, I was shocked. Yeah, because that's a really
1: pivotal emotional moment for that character. Like, it really makes you feel for him because you're right, it is the sins of the father. And that's even more reason why when you're getting all of these flashbacks in order like that, why it hurts me that he couldn't be a man in a character who could see those moments in the same order we were seeing them and be like, wow, I was so wrong. Yeah. Like I've made all the same mistakes that my father made and have that be the emotional turning point for him instead of his own death. That's still just really like, it rings sad to me. It doesn't ring untrue. It just It just makes him more of a tragic character. And it also taints the happiness because it really does to me feel like He is that manic and that happy and making up for lost time because he's trying to salvage his uh, legacy, which is still something that he, like, is super selfish and greedy about. Like, it's still about him. It is. Whereas in A Christmas Carol with Jim Carrey, I felt like that emotional change was a little bit more subtle and a little bit smoother so that by the time he was happy and he was a little bit more subdued about it, which again is hilarious because it's Jim Carrey, it was a little bit easier to follow that path and then root for him in that moment instead of just still feel sorry for him and still feel like he's kind of a tragic character.
0: Yeah. uh, I mean, that's a really, really good way to put it. I I thought I was not going to like the Jim Carrey version. I thought this style of animation sometimes got, like the Polar Express is one that I go back to a lot, but like Beowulf isn't, it's not an animation style I I particularly think is the most effective. Right, agreed. But But I still really found Jim Carrey's ending endearing and I was happy and I may have even sparked a tear. Like, especially where Jim Carrey's manic at the end feels freeing. Like he runs down the street in his pajamas and grabs hold of a carriage and is surfing behind a carriage. Like the one thing about the, the 2009 version is that it is made for film. Whereas Scrooge, it could, we've said it before in these old films, it could be a play, right? Yes. This Robert Zemeckis one is 100% made for the medium of film. You, It scared the crap out of me. When Marley's face appeared in the knocker, I, like I genuinely was like, holy crap. And of course, they couldn't do that in the original, but this is one that's made for the medium. So we get to have these very incredible transitioning, flying through the air things. The horseman at the end is very cinematic, chasing down Ebenezer. There were moments where I was like, wow, like Robert Zemeckis as a director really understands that this is film. We can do things in film with animation that you, they couldn't do in 1951, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show them some stuff. And 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 there was some pretty impressive stuff. Did the camera movements bother you, like the big swooping to scene to scene stuff in animated movies that I
1: like truly like. Love. I've always noticed that they do a really good job of putting the virtual camera because they can put the camera wherever they want because it's all being done in a computer. But they put the camera in a place where if it had been filmed in the real world, it would make sense to have put a camera. And I found with this, very often the camera was, like, moving through solid objects. There's a shot um, at the end of the scene where he's holding on to the back of the carriage and he's being kind of dragged through London. And he's, like, you know, shrieking with joy and stuff. And the camera moves through the the spokes and the wheel. And it took me out of that moment. But I also noticed that the camera was, like, too still. It was, like, God-mode camera. Like, it just—it moved too smoothly. And then when it stopped, it was just dead. And it felt like it stripped some of, like, a personality out of the way that it was filmed because it just felt very um,
0: sanitized. Like, when it comes to animation, everything is as deliberate as humanly possible. This whole film is almost a one take for sure yeah but like anytime the
1: camera stopped moving it was like it was too still everything in the frame was too still like it just it didn't have a personality like so many movies we watch have a personality
0: but a lot of the times when it did that it was it was calling for the stillness of the quiet like whenever the quiet was there you knew it wasn't going to stay there long and it it held on those frames or the great example I think with with the camera work in this is the ghost of Christmas present. And when he's about to reveal ignorance and want underneath his, which is another thing I don't remember ever. Yeah. Like I I don't remember creepy children being under the gown. They might be, they very well might be in a Muppet, Christmas carol, but they're probably adorable. So Mm -hmm. I didn't think about it. Uh, (laughs) 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 But these are terrifying children. Yes. With that said, right before the reveal, it does this vertigo pan and it stretches out and the animation stretches out as well. Sort of like the old Beetlejuice cartoon, the intro where everything gets elongated. I didn't have a problem with any of the deliberate stuff they did with the frame. I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: <laughs> no, that's good because I think you're probably right. Like, you're right. It was those still moments where the camera would stop. And so maybe I'm just like, I don't know. It was just something I noticed and I was like annoyed by it. And I don't know why I was annoyed by it. <laughs> the animation and the performances and the cast in A Christmas Carol just deserved for the thing to feel like it was lived in or like had a bit of a personality and I just never got that sense from the animation like I was looking at the set design and the backgrounds and like how much work they put into London and the fly throughs of like his flashbacks and stuff and like so much of it was so beautiful and then to have it kind of fall apart with some of the characters or that moment you're talking about where Uh, the two children uh, come out of the, you know, the robe for Christmas present. And they didn't look like they were in the same space as the rest of the characters in that, like, attic space or whatever it was supposed to be. They looked like they had been taken out of somewhere else and then edited in. Like, the lighting wasn't quite right. I don't know what it was. They just looked out of place. And so there was just, like, little moments of that where I was like, maybe it's just because computer technology just wasn't quite there in 2009. And, you know, maybe at the time, I can't remember at the time if this was like a big deal, the way that it looked. Um, I'm sure it was, but There was moments where it looked amazing, and it's almost like if they'd leaned into, like, a bit more of, like, a a hand-drawn art style or gone, like, a little bit less photorealism and a little bit more, like, just found an art style. So instead of, you know, the hyper-realism of something like a Red Dead Redemption 2, and then you compare it with something like a Zelda Breath of the Wild, there's, like, a distinctive art style to Breath of the Wild, even though those two games are, like, really, really similar. I always go for that unique art style. I always think that's super interesting because it's like such a choice as far as the kind of story you want to tell, the kind of gameplay you want to tell. And for whatever reason, video games just kept popping into my head while I was watching A Christmas Carol because it just had that feel to it. Well, the, the characters look like NPC characters from a video game. Yeah, they do. And so in a video game, I'm more likely to take that leap and get on board with the emotional journey for the characters, because I know that, like, I have an involvement in that. So, like, there's a buy-in level there that I don't necessarily have with movies in the same way.
0: Yeah, I so one of the takeaways I just uh, from your thought just now was, was this a big deal in 2009? And I, I don't really understand who the, Walt Disney made this for. Yeah. It's very clear they made it for fans of the 1951 version and not not a new audience of dickens fans or or whatever and the box office shows that so it did make its money back it was a 200 million dollar production good lord it made its money back worldwide but not domestically so domestically it was uh 137 million but worldwide everything included 325 million. So I'm sure Walt Disney studios are like, ah, we made 125 million off this. Sure. But as far as I'm concerned, if your domestic does not come back at you, who was this for? Yeah, I don't
1: know who it was for because like a lot of the imagery is like. Pretty disturbing. So, like, as it would be hard to recommend this for children.
0: Yeah, young children can't handle the horseman scene or Marley or his jaw. Jo- but at the same time, Marley's jaw breaks, and it's a uh, it's played for laughs. Yeah, that was a weird moment. It, it was because everything up to that was like very serious, and Jim Carrey is not funny in this film. It's a very serious take on Charles Dickens' story. I think Zemeckis loves Scrooge. And I think he wanted to do that again in the medium that he loves, which is this animation medium. So he did, but I don't think it works as well as, (laughs) as well as the original or the frickin' Muppet Christmas Carol. The Muppet Christmas Carol is different enough because it's a musical and it's Muppets. (laughs) So you can have that every year. And I do watch that every, every Christmas. So, my question to you, Chris, is will either one of these films make it onto your watch list for next Christmas? I don't know. I really enjoyed Scrooge. Like I'm saying like three and a half out of five, maybe. I'm going to be watching them up at Christmas Carol. I don't know if I if I need to add a second telling of Dickens that's not starring Bill Murray. Yeah, fair enough. I
1: mean, my Christmas go-to's haven't changed in a long time. I watched the original animated Grinch and Elf, and those are my those are my Christmas go-to's, and they have been forever. Well,
0: and now you're gonna add uh, very Harold and Kumar Christmas? I would hope no. To that no. What? Not a chance. No, not a chance. This is sacrilege. No. You know what? <laughs> I am gonna make a list of the 25 <laughs> movies that you have to watch, and I'm posting <laughs> it on all our socials and everybody can enjoy. Yeah, you're
1: yes, I'm I'm early movie Scrooge and you're late movie Scrooge about Christmas. So. <laughs> Next time on We Saw Things. December 31st marks our 50th episode of We Saw a Thing. So to celebrate, Jay suggested a couple movies he's been raving about and just in time to cleanse the Christmas season palette before entering 2021. We'll be talking about Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. We Saw a
0: Thing is hosted by Jay Kennedy and Chris Shapcott, Produced by Shapkod's Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check our show notes for links to our social media and credits.
1: Leave a review on Apple Podcasts.